Brianne Silva is the founder and CEO of Beauty Blender, single-handedly starting a makeup revolution by changing the way millions of beauty lovers apply their makeup. Tune in as we discuss her background as a makeup artist, working in the entertainment industry, and how Beauty Blender began. Hi everyone, and welcome to Founder Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs built some of the biggest brands today, and where we learn exactly how they did it. We'll cover some of the most intimate stories, their path to success, and how they overcame the obstacles along the way. I'm Akash Mehta, CEO and co-founder of Fable & Main, a modern hair wellness brand inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Building Fable & Main has been an incredible journey so far, and I've decided to launch this podcast as a founder keen to learn and connect with fellow beauty brand founders around the world. I believe in collaboration over competition, and so I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other what can be quite a tough and lonely journey. So if you are an entrepreneur or simply just curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. So without further ado, it's like to welcome our guest for today, Rianne Silva. She is a celebrity makeup artist who has worked with some of the biggest names in the entertainment industry, including Tupac, Dr. Dre, and Kerry Washington. But Rianne is also a founder and CEO and category creator. She innovated the now iconic pink egg-shaped beauty blender sponge during a time as one of the first ever makeup artists to work on a HGTV show. Her hand-cut sponges soon began disappearing from set and being pocketed by the cast and crew members, prized for their ability to simplify touch-ups and allow makeup to look airbrushed at all times. Fast forward to today, where Rianne oversees a global brand driving beauty complexion innovation and enabling minimal effort for maximum results. She is truly a force to be reckoned with, and I can't wait to dive deeper into her story today. So Rianne, thank you so much for being with us. Oh my God, Akash, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. Well, thank you for being so amazing. It just makes my job, actually makes it a bit harder because I have to condense everything you've done in like literally a little paragraph. But you know what? That's why we've got this podcast. I can go deeper into it now. So before I do, I do want to ask a question I ask all my guests, and this is, who, in a nutshell, is Rianne? Wow. Who is Rianne? You know what, Akash? I've never been asked that question. So really? I don't have a canned answer for that, okay? That's so what let I like, me though. think about that. I'm, yeah, think about I'm it. very multidimensional. I'm, I'm a beauty founder. I, at heart, I'm a makeup artist. I'm a mother. I'm a grandmother. Wow. I am a partner. I am a friend. I'm an innovator. Uh, my God, you know, I I, I feel like uh, I should be singing I Am Every Woman. I mean. <laughs> Literally. And it's amazing. Oh, that is so. And on any given day, I might forget one of those things or I may be more than that. I mean, you know, the beauty of life is that we have a journey of experiences that test our characters and our personalities and you know every day I discover more things about myself oh, that's amazing so I kind of want to start at the beginning I think that's always the best gateway into understanding a story so I understand you you grew up in Los Angeles uh, can you tell us a little bit about sort of your upbringing and I definitely want to know in that story what were your first memories of beauty growing up okay so yes I was born and raised in Southern California I am Mexican, Indian, Spanish, and Portuguese, Native American uh, Indian, not East Indian. Yep. Uh, my mother, short little Latina dynamo, Mexican lady, was uh, 
a good mother and and she's still alive. I'm talking as if she's no longer with us. Yeah. She is here with us. Nice. Um, <laughs> she was a waitress and my father uh, was a, a mechanic, an auto mechanic. I had a very, very normal working class upbringing. I, you know, I would like to say that my parents provided as much privilege as they could for me because it was always their kind of mantra and thing that they told me was, you know, their role is to give me a better life than they had. Yeah. So that kind of set the pace for me about understanding what my, my role was in this world, in this life was to try to do something to elevate where they came from. My job was then to elevate where I came from, to pass that on to my, my kids and my, you know, future kids at that point. Yeah. So I grew up in Southern California, but literally I've traveled the world. I feel like I've lived in many different places. I've been able and fortunate uh, through life experience and my career as a makeup artist for over 26 years working on location and different, you know, different jobs around the world. I've, I am a, I'd like to believe that I'm a global citizen, that I'm a person of the world, but yes, started in Southern California. What I love as well. So reading your story, um, that Makeup has always been something that you've gravitated towards and, and naturally now within, but it didn't always start in, in this category. I mean, I, I, I know you studied fashion or you're interested in fashion illustration. You went to the Fashion Institute of Design and, and Merchandising, um, and then you went into work, I think, at a first in a, in a fragrance counter. So can you tell us a bit about your first early days as a student, I guess, and then postgraduate? Yeah. So my mom, I, you know, first of all, I will say, I think it's such a tall order that we put on children and young people yeah. to, you know, to know what they want to do when they're about 16 or 17 years old, because yeah. life, you know, at that point you haven't even really lived. You haven't been out of your parents' house. And when do you ever truly know what you want to do, right? There's still more <laughs> things we want to do. So. Right. I mean, we, we haven't even been out of our houses yet. So, but for me, um, my mother, very much wanted me to continue education beyond high school. What that meant for her wasn't necessarily me going to university, but she she saw that I was artistic and that I liked fashion. Growing up in Southern California is a bit of a benefit when you think about entertainment, right? Because, you know, Hollywood is there. I mean, there's many entertainment centers now in the world, but when I was young, Hollywood was you know, the Mecca of entertainment. So I was a little closer to being more um, aware of fashion and beauty because of movie stars and living in LA and sometimes running into people on the street. And so, you know, it piqued my curiosity a lot. And I, I happened to have my mother and my two aunts that were very fashion forward and very aware and, and prided themselves in beauty and fashion. So I was able to sit back and watch all of the things that they did that made them feel really good about who they were. And they all had to do, you know, uh, not all, but, you know, yeah. a lot of that was beauty and fashion. So I naturally kind of gravitated towards that. And when I was graduating from high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do in my life. I thought I would be a veterinarian, really, because I loved animals, yeah. too. And I loved oh. horses. But my mom said, you know, there's this new school opening up in downtown Los Angeles called FIDM. I think we should look into it. I think you might really enjoy it. So that's what happened. And I signed up and they accepted me. And I went to FIDM and studied fashion design and quickly realized 
I don't want to be a fashion designer, but I yeah. love fashion and beauty. So yeah. that was kind of how it all started. Oh, and, and while I was going to school at Cash, because I'll answer the second part of that question was yeah. the perfume counter. So I, you know, again, being working class, it took everything in my parents' abilities to afford me to go to the school. So I had to work. And I got a job next to the school. There was a department store that's no longer in business uh, called Robinson's May. It was a department store that the ground floor in most department stores was all about fragrance and beauty. And um, I got a job. I applied for a job at that store. And I literally had no skills, (laughs) anything. I'd never worked before. But, you know, the person there liked me, I, I suppose, and gave me the opportunity to be a perfume model, which means you walk around the store yep. wearing some clothes from the store with some little strips of cardboard to spray onto people and have them, you know, you promote whatever that that fragrance brand was. And so that's yeah. pretty much was my introduction and awareness to retail beauty. And by the way, I, I tell this story. If you ever want to make enemies be a fragrance model because nobody wants you to spray them. So you're literally like Pepe Le Pew. Like it must have been such a character building moment. To, like I think at the early in your early years of getting introduced into you know corporate world or retail world. I think that is one of the hardest is uh, I wouldn't call it cold selling, but there is that sense of like, you know, you kind of have to go to people that potentially don't want to be talked to and you've got to like just constantly do it throughout the day and not be demotivated but it gains I guess confidence it gains you to learn a lot about people and understand people so what were some of those learnings that you had as a fragrance model it does it it teaches you to not fear intimidation right because a lot of times I think as human beings we take physical cues nonverbal cues from people right so yeah. What that means is as you're approaching somebody and they see you coming with the bottle and the spray and they're looking like, don't like, just don't even come over here. I'm just going to pretend I don't see you or, you know, I mean, there's these visual cues you get from people, right? So they walk the other way. Yeah. I think, I think you learn not to take things personally. I think you learn to try to insert yourself in a way to make people feel comfortable because a lot of people, I think it's human nature for the most part uh, to feel awkward or a little uncomfortable when people walk towards you and yeah you know so it just I think it does I think it is character building and I think it does give you a certain skill set to be able to sell product and to be able Mm -hmm. to make people feel comfortable and those kinds of learnings I definitely used as a makeup artist when working with celebrities when you see them for the first time when they walk in the trailer and they're like oh what's this makeup artist going to be like mm-hmm. now or you know what is what is this person going to do to me are they going to understand my character or did, are they, you know are they going to you know comment on the scars on my face or like whatever it is like just putting people at ease right uh, you know i would say funny like i i some of my character building moments have been in these kind of initially uncomfortable positions but you start to learn and grow like I, I I got really out of my comfort zone when I started busking on the streets and singing oh wow yeah I was always so shy growing up you would never see me on a stage on a talent competition because I would get stage fright so I think when I was like 20, 18 19 I was like I'm gonna go and just busk and really make myself vulnerable out here but then understand that that is a great character building moment and actually you become not vulnerable only if you decide to choose to be vulnerable kind of thing you know it's like a mindset positioning and I learned a lot but my first ever experience where I was kind of similar to 
I guess you could say fragrance modeling was I, I my first internship. One of my first internships was at uh, BMW in Germany, but I was the worst. Like I would, I had to give surveys to people. Imagine this is like in Munich, it, like most are German speaking. I don't speak German. And I have to go as a little 16 year old kid with a survey. And bearing <laughs> in mind, it's a 20 minute survey. They wanted me to make people do without any incentive. So it was basically like, you're, you're, you're giving me no chance to succeed. I was so bad and so nervous. I went to the bathroom and forge the survey as if it was like different people and be like yep I did my 15 I just sat in the bathroom for most of the day because <laughs> and then I was like that is not good Akash you gotta like figure See, out Akash, you're quick on your feet there that was, no, a, that was a good solution it was a little hustle back then I guess and, and they didn't they, they loved the data and I was like okay that's good to know but uh oh yeah I, I hope they don't they don't listen to the podcast and, and fire me uh, yeah uh, get me in trouble later uh but yeah but yeah that's a it's a really important thing i think to be in these positions but i digress and now i know that kind of led you a lot to as you said when you go into certain areas where you're the makeup artist and you have a celebrity in your chair i think these are great skill sets to have so i want to talk about that experience and what it was like garnering these incredible array of um talent that would trust in you as your makeup artist yeah well i mean listen it was incredible and time after time you know, your reputation always precedes you, right? So when I was being called in to be considered for certain jobs, I mean, that in itself was the win, right? Just being considered for these jobs. So, you know, because there's a certain amount of imposter syndrome is the term, right? So being a makeup artist, um, especially in film and television, there is definitely education, experience, technique, processes, materials and chemicals, things you need to know about as a makeup artist. Very different than a consumer style uh, makeup artist type of thing. Knowing that I didn't have that educational background, my background was fashion and I came from music video. There was always a little bit of like, like you said, you use the word vulnerability a little while ago and and I used the term imposter syndrome so you put those things together so there's like always like a false confidence I had to have in order to let the producers feel comfortable or make them feel comfortable that I was confident enough to do the job but also confident enough to know when I didn't know something I could figure it out you know because the the worst situation to be in is in a on a job where you can't figure something out and you need you you have to admit that <laughs> you know you have to tell people I don't know what to do yeah. you know so um I think that through the process of growing as a makeup artist like I said you know just being considered for the job was like the first like aha moment like okay I can do this right and then yeah. getting the job and then successfully doing the job and then that project being mm. a success where your name now is being said in rooms that you didn't even know about then you get another opportunity I mean it's just it's kind of like a snowball going down a hill you know it just gains more and more traction so it, it was an amazing experience for me to gain a reputation of being somebody that could lead other people that could, you know, read a script and translate it in makeup. And, you know, it was just, it, it was just really, really, um, an amazing accomplishment to feel that 
when you, when, you know, like I didn't set out to do this, you know, this was not, this is, this was not going to happen, but I think, you know, it has to do with being more of a creative person, not necessarily exactly, you know, such a linear person and being open in that journey. Right. Like I think just, uh, it's good to have that kind of attractive energy. I think when you go into these fields, I kind of compare it to being a seeker and an attractor. If you go into these, 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 I call them energies, but these places, right. And you have this really like seeking mindset, you tend to find more doors close on you. And then I think you went in clearly very as an attractor, let people come to you and give you these opportunities. And, you know, and then you're like, Oh, I could do that. I can try that. Let's try this. I think a lot of people, um, I mean, I get asked a lot, like, oh, I, I need to do this and that. Like, uh, what do I need to do to get this job? And I'm like, sometimes, you know, you don't have to do a lot to get it. You need to do a lot to attract it. And I think people forget that. It's a really weird thing I'm trying to explain, right? But it's- No, I really, really understand that. And I really appreciate how simply you put that because it's true. You have to attract the things that you want. Exactly. And often and then- that's why when you're saying you're... You're ready for them then. Exactly. And, that, and that, that's exactly it. You're ready for it. And that's why when you say... Oh, you know, it all happened. It's because I feel you you had that attractor energy. It's not something you went out to seek. And that's why you look back at sometimes your past and you're like, yeah, I've done a lot, but I don't know how this will happen. It just kind of snowballed, but it's it's snowballed with the right intention. So Yeah, I often I often say to people, nobody's more surprised than me. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, I, I love that, and and uh, and I can really feel that energy because you know I've done I've done over two two hundred founders, and, and not many have actually said as, a, as it just happened like as a snowball. Just I surprised my own self, and it's because those are the attractors. I think, and and I think that's what's exciting about these kind of people. I feel, and like yourself, is who's no who knows what's to come because it's just more of a personality that I think you, you're open to a lot of different avenues, but. What did come, which was really exciting, was Beauty Blender. And for me, I'm a huge fan of um, the the business, but also the family you've built. I can tell you a little personal anecdote. I was in Dubai. We were launched there. And then there was the Beauty Blender. You had, you had an area. And I went to your team. And the way they spoke about you, the brand, it kind of felt like it was my brand. And that's such a weird feeling to get into an, 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 eco, an, an eco space where I felt so comfortable and connected oh I love um, that I, I genuinely I, I genuinely mean this like it was a really uh, interesting experience and 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 that kind of made me especially for this podcast I was like, I'm very excited to speak to Rianne because I feel I want to know uh, there's no probably there's no secret source but the, how you built such an incredible family I call it so how did you begin well, that that Akash so, that makes me feel so good like I've never heard that and I, that you know and I mean it's it, so genuine. Yeah. it's thank you and it's so challenging to have you know just to have a brand in general but to yeah. have a global brand and you know you Different can't places. be everywhere all the time right so you can only hope that people say it I mean that's yeah that's awesome yeah thank you yeah, genuine. yeah. so tell us yeah how it all began well, you know, it, it began because I was a makeup artist and yep. I was a makeup artist with a, a unique challenge in a certain time in history, in a certain time in, in photographic history, evolution, where I happened to be in a situation where I was leading a department on a show that was being shot and broadcast in high definition. And that had never happened before. And we had to figure out how to make these four beautiful African-American actresses look 
like they weren't trying very hard to look beautiful, you know, and it was a show called Girlfriends. It's a a pretty well-known show now around the world. Uh, But at the time, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know it was going to be a global show. We didn't know people were going to watch it because it was kind of an experiment. It was the first show being shot this way. And um, yeah, so basically makeups needed to change the way that we used makeup and applied makeup needed to change from when we were shooting film because the setups and the lighting were different. The makeups were actually very visible in the old style of doing makeup. And it's not really an old style of doing makeup. It's just a different media, right? So, um, you know, there are still many films shot on film now, but obviously it's more cost effective to be shooting things in high definition. But um, so, you know, there's a, there's an equal, well, I, I don't know how equal it is, but there are still movies shot in film. But at the time, it was very unequal. And this was the only show and no one had really had to solve, you know, certain issues. And it wasn't just makeup that had high definition challenges. I mean, there was all kinds of things that all, in every department, everybody had to make adjustments and figure out how to make the production and the result of your work look the best. And for me, it was trying to make makeups look as if they weren't there. So what that meant was very natural, flawless skin. And it's one thing, and, and this is really what I did, what, and I got the job because I used to be a beauty airbrusher. So I would airbrush makeup onto the face, which nobody was really doing. You would use that in special effects. You wouldn't really use say. it for beauty makeup. Yeah. Um, but long story short, you would, you would you know airbrush in the morning, but... During the day when you're on set and you're touching your actors up, you're no longer using an airbrusher. You're using a brush. You're using a sponge. You're using a puff. So basically all of that beautiful light airiness of airbrushing was now being transformed back into the old way of doing makeup because you were applying makeup time in between takes all, you know, so the makeups at the end of the day didn't have that light airy look like they had in the morning. So my challenge was how do I get that light airy look throughout the day? And that's how Beauty Blender was born because it was an edgeless sponge used damp to do your touch-ups and it just kept everything looking balanced and beautiful throughout the day. Uh, was it, so was you, you created the product. Um, was there a moment where from that initial desire to create it for, you know, for yourself and, you know, for similar, I guess, situations with makeup artists, when you thought, wow, this is a commercially viable retail friendly product. Um, was that, was it like always that get go decision or was it an aha moment a bit later on when people started really enjoying it? It was definitely an aha moment. Really, It was definitely an aha moment because Listen, I would, you know, me and my girls, we, you know, we would be shooting and we would be sitting, you know, you sit on the side of the stage where the acting is happening and you just sit quietly and you wait for breaks in between to be able to go in and touch up. So there's a lot of downtime. And so we would just sit and cut the triangular shape wedges into these teardrop shapes because we knew we were going to need them the next day. Hmm. My aha moment was like, you know, this is not efficient. (laughs) On hiatus, when we wrap this season, I'm going to figure out how I can make these sponges in bulk. And to me, bulk would be like a dozen at a time. You know, (laughs) I think now we make like, 
you know, a couple hundred thousand at a time, if not more. But, you know, it was it was just really supposed to be for makeup artists. I didn't think a consumer would really understand the product. So it was a big aha moment for me to be able to say, you know what, I think I can sell these. And at the time I was a single parent. I had, uh, you know, a little girl. She was probably eight years old at the time. And man, you know, I was, I was hustling. I was working every day. I was making, I, you know, I had hit the glass ceiling in terms of what makeup artists could make. I was doing TV and I was doing celebrity work and music videos all at the same time. So my days were very full and I was making great money, but it wasn't enough to send her to college or, you know, I was like, what can I do to supplement my income so that, you know, when she gets older, so I start now, I can start planning and, you know, I'll have what I need for her when she gets out of school. I just really thought I needed some supplemental income, some passive income. You know, I physically as a makeup artist had to be on set every day. I couldn't be in two places at one time. But if I created a product, my product could be in two places. I could be working and my product could be sitting in a store. So for me, that was the way I was thinking about it. That's amazing. And was like at the beginning, uh, like was there a retail avenue or partner that you found a lot of success in? Was it like the Sephora? Was it department stores? Uh, what were your first kind of main focuses? Yeah. So the first one, you know, you you start at home, right? So the the first retailer that was excited about my product understood it were the professional makeup artist stores. So in Hollywood and now in any entertainment center, meaning wherever production is in India, you have Bollywood, you you know, wherever you are, there are suppliers. There are makeup suppliers that supply specifically to sets, to productions. And, you, you know, makeup artists don't walk into Sephora and stock their trailers. They, they go to these professional stores that stock products in certain inventory levels that can supply for a three or four month location shoot somewhere. Now, do they do business with the Sephora's of the world? Probably. I don't know their business model, but I would go to those stores and they were very familiar with me because I worked a lot. And when you work on a production, they like to manage their budgets very tightly. So they don't let you really just go out and purchase things. Well, some do. But what they really want you to do is submit a PO, a purchase order, where you tell them everything you want and they go buy it for you. So I had many, many purchase orders going into these stores. So the stores were very familiar with me. So when I created Beauty Blender, I showed it to them and they were like, people have been coming in and asking if we carry this thing. Well, they don't because I was hand cutting them. And, you know, that was another aha moment for me. I was like, I need to figure out how to get these things made because this could be my first store. And again, I made it for makeup artists. I didn't think it was going to be a consumer product in the beginning. So this was like a perfect partnership, right? If these pro stores would carry my product, it would be the perfect audience, the perfect consumer for my product because that consumer understood what it was. Did did, did you launch in Macy's? Like you, you got you. No, because oh, I was thinking because no. I know Macy's was acquired acquired Robinson's Mace. I was thinking that would have been a cool aha moment to like, I don't know if the store that you worked with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I do I do sell to Macy's now, but that wasn't my first But store. in a way that's cool, like an aha moment of like, you know, I think those moments really ground us as founders where you have that 360 of like you were in that store selling and then and then uh, now the store is 
carrying the product. Like that's a really cool like a uh, accomplishment that I think inspires so many. I remember when I had Mario on the podcast, you know, from him starting in the Sephora stores to now being one of the, the fastest growing makeup brands at Sephora. Um, a lot of people that want to start in the beauty industry often start on the floor selling. And I think it's really empowering, empowering to know, just have an attractor energy, as we said, and see yeah. where the opportunity takes you because you never know. Um, and, and you've done that with your MPD, which I think is phenomenal because from a sponge, which often people can box you or say, look, okay, you're forever an applicator or you're going to stay, you know, you've developed an array of not just, you know, great, but really efficacious products to complement the whole routine around the beauty blender. So maybe for anyone listening that might not be as familiar with the, the other lines of products you have, could you tell us about the makeup range and the other type of blender? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So, you know, first of all, Beauty Blender has been this beautiful, amazing journey for me that I didn't expect, right? Yeah. I mean, as a makeup artist with, you know, over 22, 23, 24 years of experience of, you know, mixing shades to match foundations and match skin tones of people of all ethnicities, you know, making a sponge was kind of like, oh, I'm going to do this right now. But really... What I'm an expert at is makeup and a complexion. So when Beauty Blender took off and we started rolling and we started, you know, really like broadening our distribution, we were growing, we're the category creator, we're getting awards, you know, money's coming in, we're printing the money, it's good. I started thinking like, okay, I can take a breath right now and do what I really always set out and wanted to do. And that would be to create a a complexion makeup line. And by this time, my partnership with Sephora was very strong. um, And Alison Hahn, who runs Color for North America in um, Sephora, sat me down and said, okay, so what's next? What are we doing? I was like, well, really? All of this I didn't expect to happen, and I love it, and it's amazing, and it's beautiful, and thank you very much. But I'm an expert in complexion. So at that point, I started developing my complexion category, which means my foundations, my powders, my blushes, my bronzers, everything that goes on the skin, nothing on the eye, nothing on the lip, nothing on the brow. I wanted to create the perfect hot dog. What I meant by that is that I have Beauty Blender, which is the meat of the hot dog. Now I'm going to create the bun and we're going to offer you the full hot dog, meaning I've taught you how to apply makeup perfectly and easily and flawlessly and effortlessly. And now I'm going to give you the perfect makeup to work with it. And so that's when my complexion brand uh, of Beauty Blender, which the franchise, the first franchise of complexion was called Bounce. And we still have, you know, we still produce and develop products for the bounce category. But we're now starting a new category called Boost. And so that's what I'm actually, I've been on the East Coast now uh, for a couple weeks. We're launching some Boost products. So we have Bounce Complexion and Boost Complexion. And they're all sold exclusively at Sephora around the world. It's just so exciting to see the universe, the, the hot dog, I would say, right, grow and then more and more people can enjoy now because I think, you know, you're catering to more and more people. And we, we know as Sephora brands, uh, we always get told about the Sephora 
universe and we have to be, there's already, we are X productive within the Sephora category. Like that's kind of like a whole country in itself, the amount of people that you can reach just in Sephora. Um, so I do think it's, there's a lot of empowerment of like really when you find a great retail partner, really getting in the kitchen, getting to understand the consumer and not deviating too much and getting distracted by all the other landscapes that are out there. And Staying I mean, focused, right? Yeah. Exactly. I'm learning That's it. really one of the hardest things. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, At and, least and, for and me. I, and for me too. And trust me, I say that and I still don't stay focused, but at least I learned from my, uh, my learnings. Like we, we launched three years ago, we were in all these markets and we did you know, a few other retailers. And after a while we're like, okay, now it's time to slow down, just yeah. focus um, and be productive wherever you are. I think right. it's very important. Um, and, and then, so in terms of now the journey, um, before we start going to fire around and wrapping it up, because I know you have a launch to, to start focusing on um, and I don't want to take too much of your time, but um, what are some of those big highlights on the journey that you just will always, sort of like if, you know, if I was going to say to you, you had like a couple of, photos or memories to hang on your wall what would they be and I know you've had like from awards like Allure to you know going to all the different retailers around the world but what are some of yours yeah you know Akash I feel so fortunate and so blessed I've been Mm. how do I say this I I continue to be shocked by the gifts that keep giving for me in this brand right So, yeah, it's amazing that we are Hall of Fame, 14-time Best of Beauty Allure magazine winner. You know, that's amazing. That's unheard of. In itself. I was contacted pre-COVID by the Smithsonian Museum here in the United States, which is the Museum of American History, as being one of eight women in the last 100 years that invented something that changed their industry. Wow. And that was Beauty Blender. Wait, what? That's so amazing. So for me, that was huge. I know, like from a business perspective, I tell people and I'm really excited about it. And I can just kind of see the spirals in their eyes like, oh, that's great. But for me, but for me as a mother and and as a, as a mother and a daughter, I, it's so special because forever in history, my ancestors and my family will always be able to find me and see me in American history. So that's huge for me. You know, that's, that's huge. And that's huge for my family because they're seen, you know? Um, and, 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 you know, they know, they know it's possible for them to do more in the, of the same, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there's things like that. It's awards, you know, it's, um, Recognition by my peers is really important. I, I'm very proud that after 20 years, I still have a very strong, active community of working, relevant makeup artists in every facet of the business, whether it's film and television, commercial, editorial, consumer, Instagram, influencers, you know, I'm, that um, I connect with you know, that I continue to be able to communicate with, learn from, and if I can, you know, be someone they can learn from. I I mean, that to me is really, really important and really special and continues to make me understand what my journey's about. Like it's being able to share these stories and be able to talk to them about wherever they're at in their journey, 
you know, being able to, to help them in any kind of way that my journey can for them. That's beautiful. Well, uh, before we go to fire run, I, I want to ask, um, the future, uh, of course you have now this new range with the boost collection coming out, but, um, what do you envision? Uh, and it's a hard one because I feel like things come to you. You probably are attracting so many new things that you, who knows what's to come, but, uh, what, what do you envision soon? Yeah. So I still own my business a hundred percent. I don't have wow. any financial partners, investors or anything like that. So for me, I feel very fortunate that I can really navigate where I go and what I do at this point. That's where I'm at. Um, so I see myself continuing to build out my complexion brand. I feel like we still have not pulled back all the layers of the onion. There are so many consumers out there that still aren't familiar with Beauty Blender and certainly aren't familiar with our complexion category since it's the newer part of the brand, right? So I'm really excited to figure that out. It's like a game. You know, it's like trying to figure out how to tinker with things and like what resonates and what works and what doesn't work. So for me right now, that's where I'm at. I'm really enjoying this journey of growing this part of the brand. While at the same time, it's like I have two brands. I have a tool business and I have a color business. They're sisters, not twins. And I have to give them both love and figure out how to keep them relevant and healthy and and in the right you know, state of mind, because the business has a state of mind, right? So it's like, uh, I'm constantly trying to give both of them enough love to be nurtured and grow. And that's really exciting. But and for me personally, like, I'm 60 years old, I don't know, you know, my mom worked until she was 80. And I forced her to retire. <laughs> Poor thing. She probably, she probably wasn't so happy about that, actually. But um you know, I'm, I'm a worker. I love to work and I enjoy what I do. So it doesn't seem like work. Um, uh, I enjoy my family. You call my team, my family, and, and that's truly how I feel about them. And, you know, so right now I, I just, I feel like I haven't finished what I'm doing yet in the beauty industry and in, in my career as a founder and what I look for now, when I look this direction, I think like, okay, I don't know how long I'm going to live. And we all have to ask ourselves these questions. Like at some point, what is our mortality? And what, you know, with the amount of years you think you have left, what do you want to do? And um, it's interesting. It's become very clear to me in the last couple of years. I go back to originally my childhood and what I thought I wanted to be was a veterinarian. I think we talked about Um but I love horses. So I think in my future, I'm going to get back to doing something, maybe having land, having horses, maybe rescue horses, maybe just, maybe just have, I don't know, something with just like, I love nature and um, I love walking and I love being around horses. So that's beautiful. I love that. I think uh, that's a, uh... It's the perfect duality. I think they all complement each other as well. I think in 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 business and work, people who are entrepreneurs and love working, I think there's a very healthy balance between at the same time or in tandem working with the planet, nature, animals, 
I think it's, I think also there's part of us innately as entrepreneurs that we know we have sustainability agendas and we have this, but we're making product, right? We're taking also from the planet. And I think for us, giving back to the planet is very important. We know the people part, right? That we're helping people feel more beautiful. That's something I'm, I'm considering. And, and, and um, obviously I'm early on in my journey, but we're still 100% funded. And I think that's the beauty of sort of like, we don't have these people telling us what we should do. So one thing I know is when, when, when the time is right to, when I'm getting maybe tired or I no longer can do the brand as justice, there will be an inevitable minority majority exit. But I think I want to put that back into the planet, sort of like the Patagonia story, not into my pocket. Um, so I need to work on the side, which is connected to that as well in the same time. Right. So similar to you, right. You know, you might then when you sell part of the company, do something with the horses with that. Right. And that's why it's connects and things. That's beautiful. You know, one of the things I didn't mention earlier on about like different, um, I don't know, I forget the word you use, but like landmarks and the journey that I think are really important. You know, not only was Beauty Blender the first high definition makeup application tool, but it was also the first sustainable product because I created a way to clean the sponge and keep it out of the landfills and out of the trash longer. At the time, you know, sponges were considered to be disposable implements. You use them once or twice, you throw them away, especially as a makeup artist. You couldn't use anything twice, one on, you know, on a person and then use it, go ahead, you know, turn around and use it on someone else. But you could clean your brushes. Like brushes somehow had a protected category where, you know, you could use a brush on someone, clean it, and then use it on someone else. You could never do that with a sponge. So I didn't understand I didn't understand why. Why was that? Well, you know, not being a business person, I understand there's a great replenishment program by throwing them away, right? So that was the business part. But there was no real scientific reason why you couldn't wash a sponge. You know, there's some critics out there that really don't do their homework too much. And they'll say, oh, well, a sponge you can't clean completely. Well, hair is porous. Mm-hmm. materials, all materials Bunches. are porous. When yeah. you put a bunch of fibers of a brush together in a very tight ferrule, there are things that you can't really clean. But with a sponge, by the the nature of the way it breathes and takes in water and, and pushes water out, you can clean it. So to me, that didn't make sense. So by creating Blender Cleanser, Beauty Blender became the first sustainable cosmetic sponge too. Actually, and one thing, you're absolutely right. That's a huge point because for me, you have definitely on the sustainability and um, ESG angle really made a big impact there. And I think also another thing you've done is with your recyclable program, which I think is really important, the recycling program. Uh, I think I read online like you you can send, you you can wait for three sponges and send it back to you guys. And then it's, uh, can you tell us about that? Yeah, no, you collect, you know, for beauty blender enthusiasts, you have more than one, you know, when you're ready to put them to rest, you send them back to us and we send them to a company that we have a partnership with and we recycle them. Yeah, no, no. So that's actually, uh, I think when I say that comment before about not many brands put back in, you, you, you do, uh, I have to be honest. You're one of the few that actually really do uh, also think about the holistic cycle. I really have to uh, point that we out. We also have a product called BioPure. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a, it's my bright green beauty blender. and I have it here. Yes, there <laughs> she is. Yep. And she's 60% plant-based. So, wow. you know, by creating uh, the same exact 
feel and result, we're able to create this material that's 60% plant-based and it's a sugar cane plant-based. Sugar cane. And yeah, and it just, it, it, you know, we just try to do little things that will help. I mean, it's not, you know, rocket scientists, although it it does feel like it. (laughs) It, it does need a lot of science behind it from the, you know, the, yeah. the amazing people we call our chemists and our, our lab. You know, that's something where we have to outsource to the great people there. But I love what you say, small steps, big impact. I think that's really it. Yeah. Right? That's, that's a big yeah. motto for Beauty Blender. So um, I have a desert island situation question for you, and then we'll go to fire okay. round. So imagine I'm inviting you to a family beauty retreat, um, but I'm being, well, not I'm being, and let's say TSA is being really strict and annoying. And they're saying, Rianne, you can only bring one beauty blender product with you. So I'll go from both ends, from a tool and from the complexion. What is one of each that you're bringing? Well, obviously my original pink beauty blender from the tool side. From the complexion side, I would bring my always on skin tint. It's my newest foundation. And the reason why I would bring that is that it's very natural. I mean, if I'm alone on a desert island, why do I need to look like I'm wearing makeup? But it's almost like a skincare serum. So um, in the event I would get rescued from that island, I would want to look decent. Very good. And so I would have this hybrid product that is a beautiful skincare serum with some beautiful pigments in it to just make me look not like I've been shipwrecked. Exactly. You want to feel <laughs> like the island has done you good, not done you bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's what this yeah. content is. Um, I love that. So three questions and then I- I'll let you go uh, as much as I don't want to. I, I-, I appreciate Aww. that you have a business to run. Um, so my first question is, what's another beauty brand? And it could be in the same category. It could be in fragrance that you're currently loving right now. Well, I mean, listen, you can't deny my girl Charlotte Tilbury, right? I mean, I, I think I mean I think what she has done in color cosmetics and makeup is just unbelievable. The marketing, the brains, the the team that she's put together that runs that business is just phenomenal. And I, I love all of her products. So and you know, she's the number one brand in the world right now. So I know. Were you at the Sephora Summit or I sure oh, was. Yeah. Were you? I know. Yeah. We, I think we, oh we, my we missed God. each other. I can't I'm believe so I didn't good. see you. But I, next time, I'm going to make sure I find you. But um, the number one takeaway, me and my sister were like, Charlotte came in a few years ago to Sephora and we're like, I'll be your number one. And they were sort of like laughing at her, being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, go back in your lane, right? That's their kind of comment, but not, not in reality. Don't paraphrase me, but yeah, roughly. Um, but then a few years later, she's number one. And that's like such a, inspiring story that you know she's she believed it and she she freaking did it absolutely so and then show we and can all do it. not only that but it happened because like myself and some other founders that are actually you know professional makeup artists and i don't mean that in any way to minimize no, other but- people or other founder success but there is a history of experience with textures and formulations and, and results and technique, mm-hmm. you know, and all of, all of that experience you pour into your products. Exactly. It's, it's, uh, and I think that's the one thing uh, I hope many people know that about you, but I think, cause you know, it's not a namesake brand as of say, um, 
that's why I, I don't think doing this I don't think people do actually. I don't think they do. Step on you, but I don't think they do. I don't think they do. I didn't really truly know until I was doing the research for the podcast. So that's something that I was like, that is something that uh, I don't know how, but it's something that I think will really inspire a lot more people knowing that your history. And then actually, it's it, it makes sense, right? Because when you try the products, you see the efficacy, you see the the, the thought process of why it's so perfectly designed um, and why something doesn't exist today, like it fits that pain problem. But yeah, it's literally you, which is incredible. Um, not an R&D team of 10, 20 people and all these consultants. It's like, it, I mean, there is probably people behind, but it's your vision because of your know-how. And I think that's so, so inspiring that it doesn't have to always come in the form of a namesake celebrity you know makeup artist brand which often you see yeah i will i will say by entering the complexion category it it was a learning for me right where i realized that you know maybe if i would have named beauty blender the rianne blender or something like you know i would have had the entree to have the conversation about the content and the history of my career the only thing people really knew, because it was very intentional not to overcomplicate Beauty Blender, because Beauty Blender itself was so unique. And no, when you create a category and nobody's ever seen something before, you, it, I, I realized very quickly that I could get too much in the weeds of explaining why this tool works so great to, to consumers that don't understand what it is a makeup artist needs from a tool. So simply by just saying designed by a makeup artist was enough information. That was all they needed to hear. Because if I started going into high definition and touching up and textures and pour, like all of that, like I could see their eyes spiraling. Like they were like, whoa, that's too much information. Like I can't retain all of that. Right. So very early on, it was very intentional to make it very simple, but I did myself a disservice. And I realized this in launching complexion that now that I'm going into this highly competitive category, nobody knows that I was a makeup artist, that I was, you know, they knew I was a makeup artist, but not to the degree of what I did, you know? So Live and learn. No, 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 not live and learn. Now it's uh, live and do. Now, now it's happening, right? That's I think yes, that's I that is that's ex- that's an exciting thing. It's I like, hope, <laughs> honestly, uh, and clearly, like uh, it's going to happen. And I actually personally think you're probably better off because I think, like anything, right? Um, and I have a lot of celebrity and, and makeup artist friends, but there is a saturation point where people start getting a little bit tired of certain things, right? So you had this with the celebrity makeup and now there's quite a lot of uh, makeup artist brands. And I think there is something still about, you know, you've got an iconic name and brand. It's just about now diffusing all these amazing elements that exist. It's just people can learn about. And, and there's always, and there's new customers entering the market that have not even any inkling of any brand. So it's up to us to now give They're them They're born the every day born every day and that's it so that's what excites me it's like I, I today had a, ma- a meeting with my sister and my and some of the team members and we were like oh we, we have so many messages and I'm like guys no matter what it's okay because there's new customers that's the first time they're hearing it so what's most important is what we do tomorrow not what's what happened yesterday you know um, and that's the that's the crucial uh, I have two more questions keep it moving keep it moving and that's it so my, my next question is do you have a favorite quote or like a saying that you keep close to your heart I have a couple I have a couple. 
I'll tell you three. Yes. You know, we work really hard, right? And especially, I would say, post-COVID, my team specifically, we've had to work harder than we've ever worked. And I find myself running around all of my different offices. I have one in LA and one in New York and one in Pennsylvania. I'm constantly saying busy is better than bored. So that's one thing. That's one of my sayings. And uh, Coco Chanel famously said something that I remind myself of all the time. Whenever I see a new fan come on the market and I call my like beauty blender products that show up in other lineups of brands or whatever, I call them my fans. But Coco Chanel said, you know, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. So I try to remind myself of that all the time. You know, when you're a category creator, you need competition in your category in order to market. So I remind myself of that. And then one, the third one, I think, you know, was just something my dad used to tell me. And he would say, Rianne, don't ever make a decision when you're confused about something. People will try to force you to make a decision about something, but don't make a decision when you're not sure or you're confused. You know, wait till you're Wait till you're clear, you know, don't make a that decision is really good. because you're being forced. Someone's, you know, pushing a deadline you to make is a there or something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we all have to be aware Dead- of timelines, yeah. but, you know, yeah. be clear. Yeah. I take that time to make sure you're clear as well. It's very important. Yeah. That's really good advice. I needed to hear that today as well, because there's a few things I'm thinking about and I'm like, not fully <laughs> sure, but I don't have a deadline with it. So I can take a bit more time and just be like, you know what? <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Every day. Let me, let me sleep on it a bit. Maybe not just one sleep. Let me do a couple more sleeps on it. And then, you know, that's okay. Um, so yeah. That's very, very true. Very good advice. And my last question is, I think I already know the answer, but if you weren't a beauty entrepreneur, what would Rianne be doing right now? I don't know, living on a ranch on the beach. I'd like to say, yeah, I, I think something with horses for <laughs> A ranch sure. on the beach. I need to figure <laughs> that part hard. out. In Colombia, there is, I mean, near Santa Marta and these places, there are like these, like kind of, not really ranches, right? But a lot of horses that are on the beach and it's just amazing. And yeah, it's one of those places I still can't get out of my head how beautiful it was. Wow, beautiful. I've never been to Colombia. Uh, That's one place I have never been. And go to Santa Marta and see the horses on the beach. That's my... my Oh my God, I might have to get a little info from you later. I'll I'll tell you. I've got even photos to send you of the of the beach and the and the horses it's amazing awesome but um Rianne, it's been such an honor and pleasure speaking to you such a um, pleasure been such thank a, you uh, inspiring founder to me and, and i know many listening so where can everyone continue to follow you and of course the brand yeah so of course beauty blender you know on social media on instagram it's beauty blender and it's a bright pink dot yep. with a pink sponge in it and i'm also uh Rianne silva on instagram yeah and beautyblender.com you can find us in sephora globally Coles at sephora well i'll put all the links in the summary so people are listening can just go tap straight away and uh it's been yeah as i said such a pleasure and we now need to make sure we meet in person i'm, I'm so upset i didn't get to see you at the sephora I, summit I, we were but, under the same roof and i was like but there you, were 600 people there to be but, fair uh, and i thought and i thought i saw so many and i still realized after i saw very little so like next time but but i'm going to be in town a lot more and i'll let you know we'll catch up in person awesome 
hope you enjoyed this episode of Founded Beauty as much as I had making it. And if you did, please share it with a friend who you think will love it too. Founded Beauty is available on all podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music Podcasts, the Acast app, and many more. And I'm also very proud to be part of the Acast Creator Network. So be sure to follow the podcast so you can get episodes as soon as they drop. We really appreciate every single follow, listen, share, and review. It truly goes such a long way and helps us reach new listeners. Stay tuned for the next episode of Founded Beauty and don't forget to subscribe and follow so you can be notified when it drops.